the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. It says, he will also keep you firm till the end. Now, if you read back in verse 7, it tells you who he's talking about. The he who that will keep you firm till the end is Jesus. He's the one. So that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you'll be firm all the way till Jesus comes back for us. That you'll be right on doing God's will. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. Say fellowship. See, there's the key. I was already talking to somebody about that this morning. The best part of your Christianity is not that you live a better life or that you're more moral or all these things or that you know the word of God and all. All those things are good, but the best part of Christianity is the relationship, the fellowship that you have with your creator. That's where the potency is. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Fellowship keeps you firm. And so today we're going to call our message part three in our No Greater Joy series. We're going to call it Firm Till the End. Because, let's face it, this life may seem more like a marathon than a sprint. And some days you don't feel so firm. But we got to discuss how we're going to do this, how we're going to be the ones in the end that's standing strong for Jesus when many others have faded along the way. And it happens now. Well, last week, we revealed that one of the things we're going to do here in the church is starting in September, we're going to have small groups. If you didn't hear the message last Sunday, go back and listen to it on the podcast. We've For two weeks, we've been explaining basically why we're going to have small groups. Why? Because Jesus wants disciples. That's what he's after, not just converts. He's not after a crowd. He's after disciples. He's not after a church full of spectators. That doesn't impress him. You can have a 10,000-seat auditorium and fill it up every Sunday, but if they're just only there to watch and see the show, it's not real church. He's not after spectators. He's after participators. And he showed us how to make disciples because when he walked With his 12, he replicated his heart in the heart of those who walked with him. He demonstrated how to do this. And basically just replicated his heart in his small group of followers. They're the ones that changed the world. Not all those who came on the hillside and heard the the Sermon on the Mount. But it's the ones who got his heart. And I said something that was pretty profound last Sunday and it looked like it went over your head so I'm going to say it again there's much life to be had between the Sundays some of us our Christianity well I do that on Sunday and then we forget about it 
until next Sunday and we go again. Some of us ain't even that far progressed. We just go every other Sunday or some Sundays. But many people are just Sunday and then Sunday again. But there's much life to be lived in between the Sundays. We're not called to be Sunday-only Christians. We're called to be followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was one other thing I mentioned in passing last week, is that you can't be a disciple if you won't stay on the potter's wheel. There's no amount of preaching that I can do that's going to make you a disciple just on Sunday. I can't make you a disciple from up here. You have to stay on the potter's wheel. Day in, day out, let him get his hands into you. And for a long haul. And stay firm until the end. And see, I, I had a message already lined out because we're on this series and I had what I thought I was going to preach this Sunday. And, and in fact, when it was time to write my message, I, I already had it lined out and all I had to do was, you know, rearrange it and get it ready. But during the week, God had been speaking to me in my spirit and he kept bringing the parable of the sower to me. And I was kind of dismissing it. Well, I know that parable. I preached on it not too long ago, I think. But he kept bringing it to me. And then he confirmed it to me. No, slow your roll, Pastor Guy. I know you think that this is where we're going Sunday, but it's not. We're going to go to the parable of the sower. And we're going to talk about how to stay firm till the end. Before we move on with more small group teachings and so forth. Do you know what the parable of the sower is? There's, it's in different. I think it's in Luke 8. Uh, we'll be preaching from it from Mark chapter 4 today. The parable of the sower is a parable, first of all, is a story. Jesus preached it to, the, the, uh, to the multitudes in stories called parables. And he says, the, if you can't figure out the parable of the sower, you can't figure out all the rest of them. He said, this is like a foundational parable. This is an important parable. And so... He, he said a farmer has like a bag of seed, and he's walking, and he begins to sow the seed. And some of the seed that he sows falls on the footpath that he's walking on. And you know a footpath's been trod down, right? It's packed hard, and the seed can't get down into the soil. And so it says the birds come and take the seed away. Then he sowed some seed on the rocky soil, little top uh, uh, area of dirt but underneath it is rocky soil and so it springs up quickly but because it can't take root because of the rocks below the, the sun comes and scorches it and it doesn't last long and then some of the seed fell among the thorny ground which is you know it may have been fertile ground but now there's so much there already the weeds and the thorns and it just chokes the life out of the seed the seed gets in there maybe the plants, you know, makes its way above ground, but just all the moisture and the life and the nutrients are taken up by these other things going on underground. But then he said, some seed fell upon good soil. And that soil, that soil produced, it, that seed germinated, and that seed produced 30, 60, sometimes 100 times as much as a seed have you ever put a seed in the ground and you notice that you don't just get a seed back that you may get a stalk full of of corn if you planted a corn seed you know you get just a harvest of 30 60 100 fold and so the good soil obviously is the the thing that we're after turn to mark four thirteen, 
And we'll discuss. See, Jesus, he taught that to the multitudes. He taught that to the crowds. But then when the crowds would go away, and he was with, alone with his close disciples, the ones he was replicating his heart in, then he would explain the parables. There's a difference in hearing it and hoping you get it, maybe get a little bit, but, but having Jesus himself explain it to you. And that, my friends, that's why I'm telling you, you can't be a Sunday-only Christian. You're like... You're, a, you're part of the crowd, but you're not, you're not following Christ. You're not a disciple. You're not getting the deeper information. He can't trust you with the jewels. He can't trust you with the deeper things of God. Being a Sunday only. He's trying to get you to follow Him day in and day out so that He can explain. That he can replicate His heart in you. And you can be good soil. And you can begin to produce fruit. Some 30 some 60, some 100-fold. Well, in Mark 4.13, this is after the, the crowds have left, Jesus said to his disciples, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? In other words, this gets down to the heart. And that's obviously what he's talking about. The soul is your heart. He says the farmer plant seeds by taking God's Word to others. That's what I'm doing here today. I'm just a humble farmer speaking the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. Now it's hitting your heart today in some kind of manner, but what kind of heart you have is going to determine what kind of fruit you will produce. So we're going to examine our hearts. Verse 15 says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come and take it away. Why? The seed can't penetrate a footpath heart. Now, footpath hearts is... Maybe we've all had a footpath heart at some point in our life. Footpath hearts can be hearts that have just been hurt. They've been trodden on by a lot of people. They're guarded. Or they can be hearts that have come hardened by pride. Well, I don't need to hear that. I don't, I don't believe all that stuff. I know what I believe. And you have become the God of your own life. We have people that will come in here to church. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you feel like that I'm skeptical about all this church stuff. I'm not letting anybody speak into my life. My heart is like a footpath, it's guarded. Whatever he says, I'm, it's, it's going to bounce off me. I'm not paying attention to that. But then you hear the Word of God, and I see them sometimes. It's touching them. It's touching them. The Word of God softens hard hearts. And I can see it almost penetrating. And then I'll give an invitation to come receive salvation. Come receive your forgiveness. Come meet the Lord. Come know Him. Come start your real life that's hidden with God in Christ Jesus. And they'll almost want to, but they'll, no. They'll shrug off the invitation. No, I don't want to look silly. The world has too much influence in their life. And they're skeptical, and they're hard, and the Word of God bounces off of a hard heart, and the devil comes immediately to steal it, and by the time they leave here, oh yeah, I went to church, but I ain't going back. And become easy pickings for the devil. You know, I heard a long time ago, 
that the average person, it, they have to hear the message, the gospel message of Jesus' love for them and what he did on the cross. They have to hear it eight times before they come to salvation, before they receive it. That's the average person. And I looked back in my life, and there was plenty of times I remember people witnessing to me, and it just went right over my head. I didn't, I didn't understand what they were doing. I didn't understand why they were talking about Jesus. My heart was hard. But does that mean we just stop talking to them? No, we want to be one of those eight times. You want to keep planting. You want to keep, keep softening until the day that they will receive Jesus Christ. When those people leave, after knowing that they should have come down front and given their heart to Jesus, we can't make them, but we can pray for them. And understand, I've been there. I've had a footpath heart. We pray that they'll come back when they get tired of being under the devil's feet. There's a story in John chapter 5 of a man who was lame. For 38 years, and he's laid up by the pool of Bethesda, which is a pool where they would take the lame and the blind and the halt and set them out there for the day, and they would beg for alms and stuff, I guess. And there was a man there, and I'm sure by now, for 38 years, can't get around. He's probably smelly, and his attitude smells worse. I mean, he's probably just hard-hearted, mean, cynical. And the world will do you like that. There's plenty of reasons that all of us, you know, we're, we're all dealt a different hand in life. We could all blame this or that, our parents or our, my upbringing or this uh, disability that I have or, or how they broke my heart. And this man's, I just imagine him sitting there hard-hearted. And Jesus comes and he says, do you want to be healed? Now that's an odd thing to ask somebody that's been, can't walk. But some people have so identified with their problems, Jesus understands that some people don't want to be healed. This is me. This is who I am. This is how I make my living. And they get used to living lame and halt and broke down and broke out. And their life is like, this is, that's all they can see. They can't see anything. But Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Because he knew he had some squirrely thinking. Knew he had a hard heart. And Jesus won't force himself on you. And the man says, yeah, I'll be healed. But I, every time I try to get down in the pool when the water's moving, when the angels come down and stir the water and there's healing going on, I don't have anybody to put me in there. He's blaming somebody else for not taking care of his issues. Because he's hard-hearted. And it sounds like he's a little superstitious to me because I, I just, for the life of me, don't see God sending an angel down there to stir the waters, and that's how the healing was done. Have you noticed people with hard hearts, they, they have superstitious ideas about what Christianity is? And he didn't recognize the healer when he was standing right in front of him. And Jesus healed him, and the man took up his mat, and he walked. And he should have been so excited that he was going to be the number one follower of Jesus, but he didn't. He went away. And then the religious people of the time, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they said, who healed on the Sabbath? They're playing religious games. And they, they asked the man, who healed you? He said, I don't know, some fella. And then later, Jesus found the man and he came to him and he said, go and sin no more lest something worse comes upon you. 
Now, there was another time in the Bible where they asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his uh, parents, that he was born blind, and Jesus says it wasn't because of his sin. There's some, some things that happen we're just born with, just issues that we have to deal with. It wasn't because of sin. But this man, Jesus says, go and sin no more. Obviously, his hard heart, his condition was because of his sin. And Jesus is saying, don't do it lest, something, lest it gets worse. And instead of the man saying, yes, sir, I'm going to follow you, he goes to the Jewish leaders and says, I know who it was now. It was that Jesus fellow. He rats Jesus out. Doesn't that make you mad? Jesus just healed this man. Gave him a new shot at life. And now he's turning on Christ. Right off the bat. That's what a hard heart does. And I, I thought, man, I probably need to take my halo down and put my wings in a little bit because I'm no angel. I remember when I had a hard heart, God did a lot of good things for me. And I still used his name as a cuss word. And I still rejected him. Hard hearts, man, they're hard to deal with. But God is in the softening business. And he's merciful to the just and to the unjust. He brings rain to those who deserve it and to those who don't. He just keeps loving you. And he's trying to soften maybe your heart, maybe all of our hearts here a little bit today to see how good he is. Can I get an Amen. Maybe get past some of our religious thinking, some of our superstitions about who Jesus is. Alright, so in verse 16 of Mark 4, it goes on. Say footpath hearts before we leave there. In Mark 6, 4, 16, it says, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. That's the way it's supposed to work, man. You tell them how good Jesus is, they're like, cool, that's awesome, that's what I want. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last very long. They fall away as soon as the problems are, the perse are they're persecuted for believing God's word. Remember, there's a rocky undercurrent underneath there. It's just a, a, a thin layer of topsoil, and so there's no roots getting down. But I just love to see people respond to the gospel. I love to see them hear, oh, I can be forgiven God loves me. He's not up there mad at me, wanting to destroy me, but he, he has a plan for my life. And then they respond, and they come down, and they give their heart to Jesus, and they say, what do I do next? What do I, I mean, they're so excited. They're not wanting to rat Jesus out. They're wanting to say, what do I do next? And we tell them, we have a next step at 1.30 <laughs> here in the sanctuary every Sunday. That's why we have the next step, by the way, for those people who want to go immediately to a next step. We have a next step class here from 1.30 to 2.30. Maybe you'll come today. And so they come to the next step class, and then they say, what do I do next? Well, I say, well, tomorrow night we got uh, sidewalk stories. You can come help us talk to the little children and, and spread the gospel. They're like, okay, some of them may come. They say, what do you got Tuesday? We got prayer. What do you got Wednesday? We got another service. They said, all right. They're excited. And I have seen some come to everything. They go to the nursing home. Today's nursing home's canceled, by the way. But, but they would go to the nursing home. Then they would, they'd be saying, can I go to the jail with you tonight? They're excited. They have sprung up. They're joyful about the Word of God. And they may go like that for several weeks, but then I have seen some that 
miss a service and, or two, and I get worried about them and I call, and they say, well, my car's broke down. Someone may say, well, there was Aerosmith concert in Nashville. <laughs> they, may, they may say, well, I signed my, my kids up for soccer, competitive soccer, and they play on Sundays and I can't come anymore. Of course, of course, their kids are going to be professional soccer players when they grow up and make millions of dollars. That's, that's, that's why it's that important, right? Your kids are the ones that's going to... It's, it's, that's why it's so important that you teach your kids that soccer is more important than, than your faithfulness to God. That's why. That, you know, because they're going to be professional. <clears throat> the devil will use any kind of bait, any kind of distraction. And man, these little baby Christians are getting picked off. And that's why it's so important that we have next steps. And I think small groups are going to be a wonder in having somewhere to plug them into so that they can have people to check on them and there'll be a t- close-knit group and they can, they can keep, keep them active. Your car's broke down? Oh, I'll come get you. It's that important. You see? Watch the Aerosmith concert on TV or something, you know, but get to church. It just gets easier once you miss a service. Some of you, I guess I'm just supposing, some of you probably have had times where you were excited about God and you came and then you missed a service and then you missed another service. Then you, you look up and you ain't been to church in three or four months and then you feel bad. Then you come back to church and you want to start restart your relationship and you're, you're going through this cycle of ups and downs like on a Christian roller coaster ride. And it's because you still have a rocky undercurrent that keeps keeps you from growing deep roots. What we need to do at the church is find ways to help people get those roots established. There was a young guy named John Mark in the Bible. I picture him as like one of those, what's the next step, you know? And for, I don't know how long John Mark had been saved, but he was this on-fire Christian, so much so that the Apostle Paul and his um, sidekick Barnabas were going on a, a missionary journey. And they said, let's take John Mark. Because John Mark, you know, he's so fi- on fire for the Lord. It's easy to see these people on fire for the Lord, and you just want to plug them in right away. And they took off on a missionary journey. They ain't got to the second city. And John Mark said, I'm going home to mama. He was gone. They don't, I thought Christianity was supposed to be fun. These people want to kill us. You know, when you, you realize that there's persecution comes along, somebody's, some of us, we, we stopped going to church because our friends made fun of us, you know. And we have to be careful about how we plug people in to jobs in the church and stuff. We, when I first became pastor, I wanted people to take ownership of the church. As soon as they came through the door, we was trying to say, come come, uh, work in guest services or come work with, with this or that different. Plug them in, you know, get them to take some ownership in the church. And that was a good thought. But most of those people, well, a lot of those people anyway, weren't faithful in their positions to say the least. They thought if they didn't come to church, they didn't have to serve. They didn't think that they needed to call somebody and let them know that they wouldn't be there and all that. So we were really having a lot of problems with that. And so then we instituted the next step. The next step is a a, a program that takes you on a four-week journey and it's going on every Sunday for every first Sunday as the first 
step. Every second Sunday is the second step. And, and it, it helps you to become a member of the church, to learn how we do things, to develop your spiritual gifts and to learn how to put them into action, how to work well with the, with the teams and how to... And, and some of you are still haven't come to the next step. And you say, well, I've been going over 20 years. I don't need to go to another step. I've been to the church membership classes a long time ago. These aren't just church membership classes. And you need to go through them and stop being rebellious. <clears throat> anyway, if, you, if, you, if you're not careful, see, people know God. They, they, they know God. That's the exciting part. But it, sometimes it takes some of us a little time to find freedom. You know, the devil's had a grip on us for 30 years or something, you know, however long. And so you don't get all your freedom at once. You, you have to walk this thing out. And some of us are, are, haven't got our freedom from our addictions or anything, and God's still working with us. And so we, we've, we've done the John Mark thing where we thought somebody was ready, and we, we even plugged them into leadership and stuff. And we have to be careful because when, when they're not free yet uh, from their, their past and the things that pull them back into the world, and then they leave, they, they cause a domino effect. You see leaders blowing up right in front of And you've seen that in big churches. You've seen pastors that fail. Men supposed to be great men of God. Just because they can preach real well doesn't mean that they're uh, mature in the things of God. And so when people are put in positions of leadership before they're ready, they often cause great pain. And, and cause others to stumble. So we got to be careful about that. But we want people to be rooted. We want people to be grounded. Say Rocky Hearts. If you identify yourself, please, along the way, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but if you identify yourself somewhere along, don't lie to yourself. And don't see yourself through rose-colored glasses. We're not asking you to say it out loud, but I, we're, we're saying identify the soul of your heart. That way you know how to progress. You see the patterns in your life that are causing you to be unfaithful. And so learn and be honest. In Mark 4.18, it says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. The lure of wealth and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. They receive the Word of God with joy. They spring up, but the, word of, the world still has a chokehold in their life. And they're still, they're, they're wanting to give everything to God, but they're wanting to hold on to the world at the same time. They, when they first find Jesus, they may be really all excited and all in and come to the next steps and do all the stuff and get plugged in. And, and you know, sometimes thorny hearts can be in the church for years and decades before they finally drift away. Somewhere along the line, TV becomes more desirable than reading their Bible. And they begin a slow fade. Swiping becomes more important than praying. And so all their time, they, they, sometimes they, they feel like they have some roots down, and so they begin to take their Christian walk for granted. Maybe you've been there. 
Maybe you were a strong Christian at one point and then you faded back. And then the, the cares of this life and the roots down underneath begin to fight for the nutrients in your life and squeezed and choked you out. You, or maybe some people just grow weary in well-doing. There's many reasons people leave the church after being planted and leave God's plan for their life. And the reason why I'm talking about the church is because I believe that is God's plan for our life. God's building the church. He said, I will build the church. What he does is through the church. So if I'm talking about staying in the church, then I'm talking about staying hooked up with God. We talked about how squirrely it is to say you love Jesus, but you don't love his bride, the church. You don't love what he's doing on the earth. We talked about that last week. But some people grow weary in well-doing. Well, I've had to work the nursery two times this month, and they see the things that they do for the Lord as a, a drudgery and not the, the blessing that it should be into your life, the opportunity to speak into those child's life. And they just grow weary and they begin to complain and they get, or they get discouraged by false expectations of what Christianity is supposed to be about. Some people, some people teach it like that, but some people believe once you become a Christian, all your problems magically melt away and, and life is going to be perfect. And then they, they wake up one day and realize, the devil's really trying to get me now. Yeah, because you're not on his team anymore. And you're going to have to grow up in your faith. And you're going to have to put on the whole armor found in Ephesians chapter 6 every day if you're going to stand. Instead of getting, letting the devil beat you back down and suck the life out of you and destroy your soul and your seed. And so they, have, they get discouraged because of false expectations. Some of them just get a little word in them and then they begin to get in their head and they reason themselves out of their own Christianity. I've seen it happen. They, they get some word and then they begin to play it over in their mind and conspiracy theories and all these kind of things begin to well up in their mind and they, they, they try to... Uh, they get in their head and overthink what really began in their heart. And your Christianity is a heart issue. And some are just overpowered by the American dream. You know what I mean? The American dream and God's purpose for your life are two different things. I love America, but I'm an ambassador for the kingdom of God. I'm just passing through down here. And if the American dream of you retiring and buying an RV and and living the rest of your life on easy street, and the big house, and all the things of this world, consume all your time, and all your resources, and all your thinking, then guess what? You'll never live out the plan of God, and you'll never enter into the more abundant life that Jesus promises those who follow Him. They say Christianity costs too much. and They want to, expend, they want to spend their inheritance now. Just like the parable of the lost son, the prodigal. It just seems more fun to, to do things my way. I, I, I got this plan for my life. And I know I hadn't asked Jesus about his plan for my life, but I got this plan. And so the American dream becomes theirs instead of God's plan. There was a rich young ruler that experienced the same thing. He came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. You know, love the Lord your God and all these things. 
He was just testing the guy because no, he knew nobody could keep the commandments. And the guy said, well, I've done all these things since my youth. So here's a guy since his youth has been trying to live according to the commandments. He's been trying to do good. Well, Jesus said, okay, well, then sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Jesus knew the guy was holding on to the Israeli dream, I guess. And that God, he walked away sad because his possessions and his idea of what his life consisted of was not consistent with what Jesus says your life consists of. And so the rich young ruler walked away sad and I think Jesus was equally sad to see him go. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, Jesus knows where you're at. If you've already identified your heart here today, I want you to know Jesus looks at you and He loves you. He's trying to help you today. Another thing that I think chokes out a lot of people's Christianity is offense. It seems like such a simple thing, but they get offended. When they first started coming to church, everybody loved them and hugged them and, and they felt so warm and welcome here. And then they got put, plugged into a passion team and then they, they came to church on a day where everybody was working and everybody didn't have their happy face on and somebody said something to them or maybe the pastor didn't shake their hand when he walked by or something caused an offense in them. And they said, well, this isn't, a, this isn't Disney World like I thought, you know. And they got their feelings hurt. And offense will take root and it'll, it'll overpower the roots of your faith and cause you to leave. And I don't know how to say this, but we have to grow up. This is a church full of people. The pastor is a people. We're going to have opportunities everywhere, even in the church. Maybe sometimes especially in the church. To be offended because you have such high expectations of the people in the church. But people are going through things just like you are. And they're, they're going to say things. And, and really there's a lot of times the devil is working in the church trying to bring undercurrents of people talking about bad things and division. And, and you're, somebody's going to have to be the more mature ones in the family. Really this is basically what we're talking about is family life. You know how hard it was in your family and you only had three or four in the house. Imagine being in a family with all these people. That's what God is asking you to do. And you have to grow up and refuse to take offense. Give, cut people some slack. Turn it over to God. Say, God, I'm going to pray for my enemies. You know, and those who spitefully use me. I'm not going to receive offense. You just have to get through those teenage years especially. I've said this here recently, no offense to the teenagers that may be here today, but you know when you were born again, you became a babe in Christ. And people coddled you and took care of you hopefully and, and you grew up and then once you get a little word in you, a little smarts in you, you go through your teenage years as a Christian. You really do. And, and you can spot the teenagers because they're the ones, you know, getting mad at everybody, pouting all the time because everything in the church isn't working the way that they want it to work. I don't know why he does that. Because now, of course, they know more than all the authority that God has placed in their life. Right? Teenagers. 
They can finish the pastor's sentence before he gets through. That They come up to me and say, why didn't you use this scripture to make your point? You know, they know, they know the word, and they can finish all, all the uh, passages of scriptures that I'm saying, it, and they just get, they get too smart for their own good. They become teenagers, and, and I say this, it sounds funny, but I was a teenager. I spent my teenage years as a Christian in this church. I mean, my spiritual teenage years. And boy, I used to get mad at the pastor. I, little ticks and little ways that they would do would start to irritate me. Why does he always say amen after everything? Why does he do this? Why don't they do this? If they would do this, the whole church would grow. But he's just going to sit there, and, I, and you begin in your mind to be the greatest teenager of all times. And you begin to let everything bother you until you just get a, you build a root of offense in your life. I'm leaving. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And you go take your teenage self to another church and start it all over again. Am I telling the truth? I know. I've been there. I almost left this church several times. Where would I be today if I would have? I don't know. But thank goodness the Lord helped me through my teenage years and helped me to bear with the things that I didn't understand. Pastor Paul, I'm sorry. You know, I want to tell my previous pastors, I'm sorry that I expected too much out of you. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry. As your pastor, if, if I'm letting you down in certain ways, I'm not doing it the way you want me to, or am I preaching as good as I used to, or I say things, I do things, I talk too loud, I do, I'm sorry. I, I'm doing the best that I know how to do. I can only be me. I really, I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just asking for, to forgive me, really, legitimately. I'm sorry. I'm pedaling just as fast as I can go. I'm trying to do what I know to do with all my heart. I'm trying to hear from God, and I will miss it, and I make mistakes, and I'm sorry. And I, I really ask you to forgive me. If that will help you get through whatever difficulty you're having. And, and I ask that you forgive other people in the church. If we have leaders here that you don't necessarily agree with how they're doing or whatever, all authority is placed by God. What I did, what I finally learned is to stop complaining about everything and bring my worries to God and pray things out and be obedient and humble and run in my lane. And then God promoted me so that I began to be able to make some of the decisions. Instead of complaining about the decisions, He elevated me to a place of making decisions. Thank you. It, it, it's, about, it's about being humble through the process and growing as as and to a mature Christian, somebody who can, you know, bear with other people and love them, though you may not even agree and so forth. Uh, Angie said something just knocked me out the other day, and I thought it was so funny. You know, I, I said something to her. You know, Angie's got a lot on her. She's working in the nursery right now. And uh, I said, Angie, uh, I, I don't remember what it was, talking about another church or something, or saying some problems somebody was having with so-and-so or something. And she looked up at me and she says, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> and, and I said, what? I didn't understand what she was saying. She said it again, not my circus, not my monkeys. And I understood what she was saying is, that's not her responsibility. 
That's not within her realm of uh, responsibility. And if that's somebody else has to take care of that. And sometimes we are perfectionists and we see how every department ought to be run and every decision ought to be made. But really, we're not the ones that God has put the responsibility on to make those decisions. And we would be better served if we would relax and, and pray for the people who are making the decisions. I hope I'm helping. I don't mean anything. I don't mean to offend anybody by this. <laughs> Say thorny hearts. They didn't stick to and let the, the, the word get planted. Okay, finally, in Mark 4, verse 20, it says, The seed that fell on good soil. Aren't you re- glad that we finally made it to the good soil? On good soil. Good, fell on a good heart represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much has been planted. They allowed the seed to be planted into a good soil and to spring up into everlasting life. In Genesis eight twenty two, God set the... The standard, he said, uh, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. He said, That's, it's just the way it is. You plant a seed and, and you wait some time and you get a harvest. And now that works in your life. If you're planting negative seeds, you're get, you wait a little time and you're going to get a negative result. But it also works in the positive. It works in the natural, it works in the spiritual, seed, time, and harvest. What we got to understand is we got to let the seed get in this good soil, and then we got to endure, we got to wait, we got to believe. When you can't see it even coming up yet, it's under the ground, the seed's in the ground, you got to have faith that it's on the way. You got to stand strong in your faith during the time. That's what we're talking about, enduring, right? Being faithful to the end. And then when it comes up, and then in a faithful heart, this Word of God will produce so much fruit. Hearts with good soil stay on the wheel, the potter's wheel, through thick and thin. They don't run during the hard times. They stay engaged and decide to follow Christ at all cost. They refuse to take offense in any other bait that the devil dangles in front of them. They just say, no, 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 no. I'm humbling myself to Jesus' processes and Jesus' methodologies, which are His Word and love, basically, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. I'm humbling myself before my Almighty God. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to produce others. I'm going to lead others around the wheel back there. you got to get around the wheel, and then you begin to produce fruit. It's okay that you know God. That's good. Wherever you're at, it's a good starting point. If you don't know God, you're not on the wheel yet, but you'll know Him before you leave if you want to. You know God, then He will begin to help you find freedom. And in you finding freedom, you, begin, you stop thinking about yourself and say, what am I here for? And then you discover that you have a purpose. And then once you discover your purpose, then you set your hand to the plow, and then you begin to make a difference. And what you do, you make a difference in the life of somebody else, and you help them know God, and then they start the process. And that's the discipleship wheel back there. That's how we do this thing. You're on that wheel somewhere. Your heart is some kind of soil right now. But God wants to produce a harvest in you. Some of you are saying, I don't know. I can't tell nobody about Jesus. I'm shy. I'm this. I'm scared and all these things. God has not given you a spirit of fear. and He's not called you to be shy. See, 
God, God's Word is going to change the way you see yourself so that you can be made into Christ's image and you can do Christ-like things. And He will give you the power. He's trying, to, he's trying to give you that life and life more abundantly. And good soil expands and reproduces. When you get to a place where you got good soil and you're letting God's Word, this is what we do here. God will plant churches wherever God leads by developing passionate people true to our core values, the Word of God, who will continually expand and reproduce. That's how we're going we're gonna to change this world. That's how Jesus did it. He planted His heart. And He is the seed in the soil of His twelve. And they turned the world upside down. But they've long since did and gone. And now we're, we're held responsible for changing the world. We are now the light of the world. And I think small groups is going to help us so much in, in all of the things we've talked about today. Hold us responsible. Put people in our lives to watch over us and protect us and to speak into our lives. Give us people to help grow up. Give us opportunities to minister. Put people in our path that are going to say, I've been there. I've done that. I know what you're going through. I know you're angry right now, and I know you want to quit, but, don't, but hold on. And so we'll stop seeing the back door being wide open in the church. It's great that the front door is wide open and people come in. we got all these new people, but every time you turn around, the back door is open and somebody's leaving offended or leaving for this or that. And so I believe small groups are going to be a great opportunity for us to help each other hold on. Just this Thursday, I uh, met with our small group leaders. You know, I've told you we've been training for seven weeks now. Uh, getting ready for when we start in September. And we had it over Richard, or Richard and Anita's house. Now we're just having small groups, you know, and everybody's getting an opportunity to run their own small group. And it lasts just an hour, and people fellowshiped, and they threw out some word and, and the premise and the word of God, and we all got to share. Everybody, if it, everybody in the group could share. And we just chewed on the word of God. And, you know, if somebody said something that wasn't right, you know, we're not calling you out and making you embarrassed or nothing. Everybody, we're, we're trying to just foster the conversation. Maybe we'll gently guide you back to the truth of God's Word or something. We're helping one another. And everybody gets an opportunity to feel like their opinion counts and, and that they're part of something bigger than themselves. And then at the end, we pray. We, we each get an opportunity to pray. If you don't want to pray, you just say amen. It passes you on by, you know. If you're shy, we work with you where you're at. You ain't got to come here trying to be nothing. Just come and just fellowship. And then at the end of an hour, you know, an hour flies by like that. And we're like, we don't want to quit. You know, but, but you can't stay here. You know, you can't stay at somebody's house all night. So we all get together and we went to a Mexican restaurant. And we hooted and hollered and drove those Mexican people crazy. We had such a good time. We ate good food. We fellowshiped till one of the people in the, in the group at our table looked and said, once we have our own groups, can we still have this group? Can we still meet? That's how much they're loving it already. They've already bonded. We've already bonded with each other. We don't want to quit our group. We just want to keep going. And that's the way you're going to feel about your group. 
Have you ever seen a farmer take a dirt clod in his field and just run it through his fingers? You've never been in the Delta, have <laughs> A good farmer will look at his dirt. I don't know what he sees. I'm not a farmer. I don't know what he's looking for, but he'll just run it through his fingers. My grandpa used to do it. I don't know what he's looking for, but he's thinking. He's examining the soil. And I hope that's what you're doing here today. You're examining the soil of your heart so that you'll know what's the next step. And so that you can know that this church is here to help you with that next step. And we're putting things in place that's going to help you every step and every level of your development. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. And the New Living, it says, for it determines the course of your life. The condition of your heart is going to determine your, your outcome, the direction, the course of your life. This is important stuff, what we're talking about here today. Your heart is the soil, and Jesus is the seed. In John 12, 24, he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. If you know anything about the germination process, a seed must die before it, it reproduces. He says, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. This, this life in this world is so short, so insignificant. Why would you set up camp down here and put all, invest everything in your life into this short existence? But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me and my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. You've got to be where Jesus is. If you're Sunday only right now, then determine in your heart. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change the soil of my heart. There's so much life to be lived between the Sundays. And Jesus is our perfect example of good soul. He's our high priest. who, who uh, he, he understands our weaknesses, it says in Hebrews 4.15, for he faced all the same testings as we do, but he never sinned. He could have developed a hard heart. I mean, he came to an earth that he created, and we wouldn't even give him room to be born. We made him be born out in a manger. And then right away, we're trying to kill all the babies, hoping that he's one of them. He could have developed a hard heart as a kid. Are you kidding me? But he didn't. The devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, bow down and follow me, and I'll give you everything. He could have had everything. But he already had everything. And so do you. Wow. I didn't even mean to say that. Jesus already had everything. And so do you. In Jesus. Wow. I done preached myself happy. He could have come down from that cross when things got hard. He could have said, my family don't love me. Everybody deserted me. They're just talking bad about me. They're lying about me. Why, why, why? And he could have come down from the cross, but he says he didn't. And it tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What does it mean, joy? 
There was no joy in the cross. It was you. It was beyond the cross that he looked to your life being changed. And it was love that held him to the cross, not the nails. He could have called down a legion of angels at any time. But his purpose was too great. You were his purpose. And the day that you would come to the realization that how loved you really are. And that you have everything that your heart could desire. But it's in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness is found in Jesus Christ. In that relationship. And really, what are we talking about? It's His love. And it's in that relationship that's going to keep you firm until the end. We get waffly and flaky when we lose sight of Christ's love. We lose our relationship and we begin to swipe our lives away or watch TV instead of, of, of spending time with Christ. But the closer we get, the more we yield to His love in our life, the more fulfilled we become, the, the soul of... He, he runs His fingers through our heart. He looks at it and He breathes into our life and, and all the roots of bitterness and rejection and all the things, that the American dream and all those things that are in there trying to choke out His love, they just fall through His fingers and there's nothing left but who you really intended to be. Good soul. And then your life finds the, the truth and it's better to give than receive. And you begin to produce fruit. Fruit like you never knew. God has something for your life that you can It's not even entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love Him. It's in the love. It's in the relationship. That you're going to find your life. Your life is hid with God in Christ Jesus. Your real life. Who you're really meant to be. That love will rock your world. Some of us, we say we love Jesus. We say we love God. Maybe we have an outer shell understanding. Because if we, if we really did, we'd be all in. We'd be all in. It wouldn't be, no, I, I do my thing Monday through Saturday and I give God Sunday. It'd be all in all the time. You can't, you can't deny love like that. Jesus didn't come to create spectators. Came to make you a disciple. To be one with you. As Him and the Father are one. To be one. No difference in you and Him. Just so connected. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.